Welcome to What Christians Should Know, How You Can Apply Biblical Principles to Everyday Life. Good day to all. As always, my name is Dr. Elijah Sadafal, and welcome to part two of episode 2.10 of What Christians Should Know on the Sabbath. So we're going to jump right in and pick up where we left off last week. So the Sabbath as resistance. The Sabbath was instituted as a formal national command to Israel after God freed the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. While the Jews lived in Egypt, they lived amidst a culture that was oppressive, had no regard for life, and were not concerned with communal well-being. The Egyptian ethos, in fact, was dedicated to profit and production, and the destruction of human life was an acceptable consequence to anything that threatened that economic system. Look at what the Bible tells us about what that Egyptian system looked like in Exodus 1 verses 9 to 14. I won't read all those verses, but they basically describe the Egyptians dealing harshly with the Israelites and making their lives miserable because they were presumed to pose a threat to the Egyptians. So what these verses tell us is that Egyptian culture was inherently competitive, and anything that threatened national interest, even if speculative, required swift and destructive countermeasures. This ideology sacrificed people for the sake of fabrication. This way of thinking is also evident when Pharaoh ordered that all firstborn Hebrew males be killed as soon as they were born, because they were viewed as a threat due to their numbers and might. The point I'm trying to make is that God liberated his people from this tyrannical system and then gave Israel a new set of commandments in Exodus 20 on their way to the Promised Land. The Sabbath was a part of these new rules, which stood in direct contrast to the life-destroying ways of Egypt. God even prefaces the commandments that he gave to Israel by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, God was basically telling his people, Hey, I am the one who set you free, so I am in the business of liberation. Now let me tell you my life-giving rules. The Sabbath was thus a part of a blueprint that not only prescribed how to live God's commandments, but also made the people aware of the pervasive forces of the world that seek to thwart God's purposes. So in the 2016 book, Sabbath as Resistance, the authors make the case that observation of the Sabbath equates to both the acknowledgement of an alternative consciousness, as already discussed, and an act of resistance. This resistance is not an armed insurgency, but rather a purposeful, deliberate, and visible act of resistance against the seductive ethos of consumerism, which is characterized by competition, consumption, privatization, and perfection, and is not what we ultimately worship. Indeed, the ideology of insatiable consumption invades every aspect of our lives, so not only does celebration of the Sabbath require tremendous effort on the part of the individual, but a sincere effort amongst a community of believers as well. In turn, this alternative consciousness leads us to neighborliness, cooperation, communal well-being, and fallibility. So in plain language, this means that celebrating the Sabbath means embracing God's commandments and not adhering to the commandments of the dominant consumer culture. Sabbath as resistance means making a purposeful effort and carving out a sanctified piece of time in order to distance ourselves from the dominant ethos of the culture that we live in because holiness in time also implies separation of time. Specifically, Sabbath as resistance therefore leads to resistance against four specific aspects of our dominant culture. The first is resistance to anxiety. The authors write, 
Sabbath-keeping is a way of making a statement of peculiar identity amid a large public identity, of maintaining and enacting a counter-identity that refuses mainstream identity, which itself entails anti-human practice and the worship of anti-human gods. Understood this way, Sabbath is a bodily act of testimony to alternative and resistance to pervading values and the assumptions behind those values. Anxiety is the fear of the future. Restless anxiety results when we are preoccupied with having enough, producing enough, or concerned that others will inhibit our ability to get more. Anxiety also results from legalism or moralism, where one violation of a rule tramples upon our sense of worth. Anxiety results when people on the margins have no genuine identity in a system obsessed with consumption. Yet in a paradigm where the Sabbath is considered holy and people are placed in the center of a new imagination, anxiety fades away because it is no longer me that is my ultimate source of trust. It is no longer the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It is no longer the number of likes, followers, or connections that I have. So again, in regards to the Sabbath, the authors of Sabbath as Resistance write, The work stoppage permits a waning of anxiety, so energy is redeployed to the neighborhood. The odd insistence of God of Sinai is to counter anxious productivity with committed neighborliness. The latter practice does not produce so much, but it creates an environment of security and respect and dignity that redefines the human project. The consecration of the Sabbath persuades us to realize that indeed, There is much about the future that we do not know, but we have a relationship with God who stands above creation. We therefore don't preoccupy ourselves with the uncontrollable future, but with the known God who set us free from endless Egyptian anxiety. The treatment, therefore, for the disease of anxiety is prescribed in a system of rest, perfectly dosed in a day of rest, the Sabbath. This is the idea of what Jesus relayed to his disciples in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 31. The Sabbath is also resistance to coercion. The Sabbath resists the overriding theme of coercion that essentially equates to keeping score, doing more, achieving more, participating in more, and being more than someone else. This means trusting God enough to rest and believing that taking a break from what we typically do in the other six days will not irreversibly harm us. Deceptively, a coercive system entices its subscribers to place trust in the score, so as long as you are getting points, you tend to forget about God. Of course, the obsession with the score leads to anxiety and animates dreams of counting bricks. Surely, it is human nature that abundance sows the seeds of forgetfulness, which is why God on multiple occasions warns the Israelites not to forget before they enter into the land of abundance, the promised land. On a practical level, many readers may think that dominant culture is not coercive at all, but in response, I dare propose a few challenges. Don't use your cell phone, check your email, or use social media on the Sabbath. Would you feel as if you're missing out? Don't catch up on errands on the Sabbath. Would you feel as if you're losing time? Don't think about all the stuff you have to do in the upcoming week. Would you feel as if you're out of touch with your responsibilities? Additionally, with the weekly intermission comes a revitalized imagination of an alternative consciousness of what truly matters. The Sabbath as resistance to exclusivism. In a society ruled by exclusivism, certain people do not qualify and are unfit for entry. So whether we're talking about an exclusive church, an exclusive country, an exclusive race, an exclusive school, or exclusive access, the Sabbath lends our attention to the fact that the day has been made holy as a creation ordinance. 
This means it is a day that pertains to all of creation, so no longer are there divisions and fences that keep people isolated, but rather the communal remembrance that everything is because of God. Our neighbor and our world is therefore not a commodity to be used, but a gift that compels reverence and proper stewardship. In other words, everything gets a break. The Sabbath draws our attention to those fruits of the Spirit that require interpersonal cooperation, see Galatians 5, 22-23, while the works of the flesh result from interpersonal competition, Galatians 5, 19-21. The Sabbath is also resistance to multitasking. The Sabbath resists the enticement to do other things while honoring and worshiping God. The point here is that behaviors may appear to be restful, but the genuine intent is consumed by uneasiness. So in an everyday sense, multitasking equates to not doing certain things, all the while being consumed by the restlessness and the longing to return to the world of commodities. Multitasking allows you to sit down with your family or community members for a meal, but your attention is on your latest notification. Multitasking allows you to go to church service, but check your scores while the preacher is preaching. Multitasking empowers you to raise your hands and praise God with a thunderous shout with the awareness that the car you intend to sell someone is a lemon. Unitasking on God compels you to reconcile with God and reconciliation with Him compels you to reconcile with your neighbors. I will conclude by saying the Sabbath invites Christians to embrace their natural identity, not their assigned identity. A natural identity that we are formed in the image of God educates that we are adequate and therefore we are content. An assigned identity works in reverse and informs us that because we lack certain things, then we as people are incomplete. Of course, there is always more to be had, so our sense of self is always deficient and fragile. The Sabbath is never meant to be celebrated in isolation. It invites couples, families, neighbors, church members, and communities to participate together. Time is perfectly egalitarian, and thus the holiness of time influences all individuals equally. The communal participation therefore gives like-minded people a refreshing new cultural identity as fellow Sabbath participants. This culture is nurtured weekly and animates common meals, common meeting places, common stories, common histories, and common language. On a personal note, where my wife and I live, there is a very large Jewish population and if you threw a rock in any direction, chances are it would hit a synagogue. Starting for 24 hours each and every Friday evening, our neighborhood shuts down. Commercial streets go black. It is common on Saturday morning to see groups of families walking together to the synagogue. Then, after sundown on Saturday, the commercial streets become alive again. Into the wee hours of the night, Jewish families now crowd once desolate commercial streets. Restaurants are now overflowing with people who often tend to sit 10 or more at a table. The point is that communal celebration of the Sabbath brings people together under a common identity with a common purpose. It still boggles my mind that this tradition that began in the Middle East thousands of years ago in a small, seemingly insignificant sect still survives today amongst Jews all over the world. Things can survive for very long, but for tradition to survive that long, it must be well-grounded in a purposeful community with an unshakable distinctiveness. That is the power of the Sabbath. In the Sabbath, time is measured in depth, not in minutes. After all, the Sabbath contains the same 24 hours as any other day of the week, 
but it is how we spend those minutes that count for something. Dominant culture measures performance by how fast we can do something or how convenient something is by how much time it saves. In the urgent care office that I work in, for example, we pride ourselves by pointing to how much time the patient saves by not going to the emergency room. Yet in measuring the minute saved, no one ever counts the lack of quality time the doctor spends with the patient. In fact, a physician who pursues quality but spends too many minutes in that pursuit is regarded as inefficient. So, the Sabbath is a period of holiness that is not only separated in time, but is an unconventional construction of time. That is, when it comes to Sabbath observance, the authors of An Other Kingdom note that people have time on their hands. Like observing the Sabbath, their interpretation of time is an act of defiance against the dominant culture and its restless productivity. The Sabbath gave form to the fact that, no matter how busy I am, there is always time. The lesson from the margins is that there is enough time. In the consumer society, time is scarcity. In the sacred text, there is a famous idea in Ecclesiastes, a time to laugh and a time to cry, a time to live and a time to die. In other words, in the season, there are rhythms that belong to the very structure of creation that cannot be viewed with impunity and they do not necessarily occur by the clock. Imagine what a world without the Sabbath would be like. It would be a world without rest where all would toil without ceasing, nor would there be a reason to cease. It would be a world where identity came from the toil and everything would be a commodity. We would all dwell in cities that never sleep, not realizing that sleep is absolutely crucial because it restores us. There would be no clear separation among days, and no sacred time hallowed by God. Hence, it will be a world that knew only itself, where creation lacked consecrated time to pursue holiness. Without this sacred time, week by week, we would be compelled to forget about God and what He has done for us through Christ. Just as neglect of the ritual ceremony of communion compels us to forget the broken body and shed blood of Christ, a lack of the Sabbath compels us to forget that God holds time in His hands. We then fall prey to restless anxiety and chase after the wind in pursuit of elusive time. Indeed, the Sabbath was made for us because without it, we may actually begin to believe the delusion that we hold time in the palms of our hands. This will conclude What Christians Should Know, Volume 2. In the interest of rest, I will pause for a time and come back with Volume 3, The Ten Commandments, later on this year. Volume 0 will be continued to be produced in the interim. Until then, God bless. Thank you for listening to What Christians Should Know. For more valuable content, please visit us at chesadoffel.com. For general inquiries, email us at info at wcsk.org.